Hello there, folks. This is Nick the American. It's episode 28. We got a real fine show for you today, folks. I'm telling you, if you stay tuned, stick with us, we're going to produce a real fine show today and a real fine show for, for uh, I don't know, a long time to come. Who knows? Don't you love my accent? Yeah, my, my stupidity. How the hell do I even open a show? Who knows? Who knows? But, hey... So I, I give these shows to you usually on a Tuesday morning, and our producer, Scott, he's a little slow on the draw, and they come out Friday or Saturday, or you know, I don't know, Scott's been a little slow lately, so you know maybe we all collectively can say, hey, Scott, pick it the fuck up. You know, we kid our producer, Scott. We love our producer, Scott. But uh, So it's Tuesday morning, and so last night was Monday Night Football. And my Denver Broncos played the Buffalo freaking Bills in Buffalo. Now, keep in mind, we're coming off of a 24-9 victory over the Kansas City Chiefs. The Denver Broncos had literally... Trump was president for four years. The Denver Broncos never beat the Chiefs. Obama was president the last time the Broncos beat the Chiefs. We got five turnovers in that game, and uh, we ended up winning it. Well... The Bills game was just a, a cluster bleep. See that? I'm cutting down on the F word, folks. Ooh. It was an absolute clusterfuck. Oops. The Bills turned the ball over four times. The Broncos turned the ball over once. Denver probably should have won that game, I don't know, by two, three touchdowns. I'm excited. All my friends are texting me. It was super exciting to see my middle son, Spencer, who has come with me on my Bronco journey, how excited he was. We Denver's not won many big games, and this felt like a big game for Denver, even though we were 3-5 and five coming in, our third straight victory. If you listen to this show, you know that, you know, not only is this, yeah, yeah, David Benavides is the official fighter of Nick the American. Okay, you guys all know that. But it, unfortunately or fortunately for some of you, the Denver Broncos are the official football team of Nick the American. We've got to cover them. Russ was 24 of 29. He threw a couple touchdown passes. He threw no interceptions, didn't make a mistake, made an incredible play on fourth and two, and Cortland Sutton made a, a catch that would have made Tyler Lockett proud. Okay, but he will not throw the football down the field. Russ just won't do it. He just will not let it rip. And we saw it time and time again in that game where he's in the pocket and he just will not let the ball go. So what does this mean for Denver going forward? They're four and five. We play the Vikings next week and we get to five and five. I mean, think about this, Bronco fans. We were two and five. We were two and five facing the Chiefs. We hadn't beaten in a in, in like six decades, and then we had to go to Buffalo. We were literally staring two and seven in the damn face. And so the ship has been righted a little bit. I'm not sure that this kind of football that we've played the last two weeks is is something we can duplicate. I, I just don't think you can count on nine turnovers in two football games. First time since 1998, and Bronco fans know what happened in 1998. We won the Super Bowl. That's obviously clearly not going to happen this year unless, you know, I don't know about, I don't know, 10 teams get swallowed up by some sort of, you know, sinkhole in the coming weeks. So it was it was nice 
to get a W. It was very nice to get a W, but uh, I, I, I'm pretty guarded with this Bronco team. I, I don't think they're that great. Russell's just, God, and, and here he was 24 for 29. He had like 198 yards, two touchdowns. And, and I just, I, I have a tough time giving him any credit. I have a tough time giving him any credit. You know, it's probably because, you know, I was used to seeing the 2013, 2014, 2015 Russell where he was just the ultimate playmaker. <sighs> Denver Broncos are four and five. Let's go get it. And that, that hey, if you if you want real serious NFL breakdown, you go listen to someone like Greg Cosell. You want to talk Bronco football, you talk to someone with a PhD, baby, in Denver Bronco football. That's Coach Nick. But uh, enough of the Broncos. Let's let, let's let's quickly move on. Let's let's transition now. We had the third Republican debate. And I know all of you guys are watching those debates with bated breath. I think there were 7 million viewers. That was probably because it was on NBC. We saw Vivek Ramaswamy. He was pissed off from the get-go. This guy was ready to rip anybody and everybody, starting with the moderators, telling them that uh, Elon Musk and Joe Rogan and, I don't know, what did he say, Greg Gutfield should be doing this debate, not, not NBC. So... Vivek was just an animal. He got in a, uh, he was back and forth with Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina. So uh, I've got I've got some takeaways here. So we've got I think we announced eight candidates. We without that beautiful Bulls music during the first debate, we announced eight candidates. We had five at the debate, and since that debate. Tim Scott from South Carolina, he has bowed out. So we just had Mike Pence bow out of the race. Tim Scott's going to bow out of the race. They're saying that maybe Vivek Ramaswamy may not be able to debate at the next debate because he hasn't hit like a 5 or a 6% threshold that uh, I believe Rona McDaniel and the RNC uh, imposed on the debates. And you saw Vivek flat out. He went after my girl, Rona McDaniel. He went after... The head of the RNC calling the Republican Party a bunch of losers. And Rona should be fired immediately because of all this losing. And Rona didn't take too well to that. But uh, anyway, so we've seen Tim Scott bow out. And so what we have Christie, we have Ramaswamy, we have Nikki Haley, and we have Ronnie DeSantis. I've got to look this up. I should have looked this up before I started speaking with you, but I'm an idiot, so I didn't. But I'm not exactly sure when Iowa, when, when the Iowa caucuses are. Are we two months away? Are we a month away? Are we three months away? I'm not sure. They, they have to be get, get, getting close. And I'm wondering, is Ramaswamy and Christie gone before we even vote? Are, are we going to be down to a three-person race, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, and the king, Donnie Trump? Quite possibly, quite possibly. And on one hand, I was saying to myself, Republican primary, what primary? All these guys are dropping before there's even been an election. On the other hand, I think to myself and say, hmm, Haley, DeSantis, and Trump. Maybe that's good for Haley and DeSantis. Maybe that's good. I've told you before, 
one of the reasons why Trump was able to come into power be, was because during the first, the, the in his first go around in 2014, 2015, there's like 22 Republicans on the on the damn podium. A lot. He didn't have to do a lot to distinguish himself. You didn't have to get a, a huge portion of the vote to get in that top three in place in in, in a state. And I've also told you this. It was like three. It was like three or four states in before Trump won his first state. So, with a small field, is this troublesome for Trump potentially? Especially if you he he's going to get convicted on one of his four indictments. He could get convicted on all four of his indictments. He's going to have to pay probably a couple hundred million in his New York fraud case. That's that's completely separate. So if I'm Ron DeSantis and I'm Nikki Haley, Christie's got no shot. Christie's the rabble rouser with no shot. But if I'm Ron DeSantis and, and Nikki Haley, I'm saying I've got to stay in. I've got to have the funding. I've got to have the network to be able to stay in this race and for 10, 15 different state primaries. Okay? Give me a chance to get some delegates. Give me a chance to go one-on-one with the king while he's just... He's just been convicted. Maybe he might have to serve some jail time, literally, while he's running against Nikki Haley or, or, or Ron DeSantis. How does that look? Would the Republican Party be ready to say, you know what? Now is the time. This guy, I love him to death. I love him to death, but he's just too toxic. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote for Nikki Haley. I'm going to vote for Ron DeSantis, and we'll see how it goes. So who knows? Now, Let's see. Let, let's talk. What did they talk about in, in the debate? And and so just some takeaways here. TikTok. They all want to ban TikTok. Okay. How do you feel about banning a social media platform? All of our kids use it. Vivek Ramaswamy went after Nikki Haley because her daughter uses TikTok. Hey, Vivek, I saw your son on stage after the debate. Your son's like two and a half or three. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't have a phone yet, but if he did, he'd have flippin' TikTok. So, very easy for Vivek to slam Nikki Haley there, and I, Nikki Haley called him scum and told him to take my daughter's name out your mouth, out your mouth. First, Leave my daughter out of your voice. So, yeah, how do you feel about a ban on TikTok? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I, I told you, I don't like banning anything. I think banning is, is it, boy. It just leads to no good. It, it leads to some viciousness. But are the Chinese infiltrating us with TikTok and, and souring our young minds? I don't know. And, and this will be a topic for later, okay, in terms of how we feel about TikTok and other social media platforms because they're changing the game in real time in our country, and they have been. It's not, you know... Whatever the Republicans are upset about TikTok for, there's a million other things that you could be upset about TikTok for. It's it, it's just mindless, you know, shit that gets into our kids' brains. But isn't this just a part of 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 our country, our world evolving, technology evolving? We're just gonna ban technology we don't like. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So then the other thing that was a real big topic was. Israel and Palestine. But what you did not hear in this debate, I don't think one Republican mentioned the Palestinian people. I don't think they ever mentioned Palestine. 
They mentioned Hamas, eradicate Hamas. Israel has a right to defend itself, and they have that duty, and they absolutely should. Well, no shit. I agreed with them on that. But it was all, it was Hamas and Israel. Israel and Hamas. And there's so much more to this. If you've been listening to this show, if you've been following the news at all, Hamas is a, a terror wing. Hamas kind of controls Gaza. They don't speak for the Palestinian people. These innocent Palestinians that are dying, you know, I, I, I don't know, are they pro-Hamas or not? But if you listen to all the Republicans on the stage, they were, they never mentioned the Palestinian people, I don't believe, one time. And it got me thinking, you know, Rashida Tlaib, she's threatening Biden. Biden's mentioning the Palestinian people all the time. He's, try, he's trying for a ceasefire. Yeah, yeah, he's funding Israel like we all want him to do here in this country or a lot of people. But hey, Rashida Tlaib, you're going to go, you're going to, in Michigan, you want to boycott the, Democ uh, the Democratic ticket? I'm, I'm just pointing out to you, sweetheart, if you do that, look what the alternative is. They won't even mention the Palestinian people. So the grass isn't greener on the other side. I'm not saying that you're going to go run over there and vote for Republicans, but uh, if you boycott, suppress the vote in the Democratic Party, you could, you, you, you could, you could, you know, give uh, the American people exactly what you don't want, which is zero enlightenment on this issue of, of, of Palestine and Israel and uh, just the eradication of Hamas. Yes, I want Hamas gone. How do we go about doing that and protecting the Palestinian people? Is there a way forward to work with the PLO? Here, I'm talking about the Republican debate. I, 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 was, I was struck that Palestine was not mentioned. And maybe if it was, I missed it. But I watched the whole doggone debate. Yeah, here. Nick, the liberal Democrat, sat down with 7 million other people across the country and watched the entire debate. Now, the last thing I'll bring up here was the abortion issue. Okay. And I've got some, I've got some pros for this, and I've got some cons for this. I thought Nikki Haley's response to abortion her evolving position on this is exactly what Republicans had should have should be taking, should have been taking, you know, for 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 decades. You can't just be, hey, I am anti-abortion under any circumstance. I'm anti-abortion, and then that's it. Do you realize the drug addicted, the mentally disabled, these 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 kids that are born in this world with literally zero shot? And many of them don't have a parental net. There has to be social programs in place. Socialism, folks, set up to take care of these unwanted children. And yes, you can talk adoption all you want, and, and we should. Adoption's great, okay? However, however, who wants to adopt a crack-addicted baby? Who wants to adopt a mentally retarded child? Seriously. Anybody? So Nikki Haley was talking about how they need the Republicans need to be better at now and, and here and these were other uh, Chris Christie and, and, and Tim Scott said this too. 
Um, Republicans are great at pro-life. They're not so great at the whole life. And and this is what Christie said. This is these were Tim Scott's words. And I applaud the Republicans for this. I've said this forever. Republicans are pro-life, pro-life, but what about the actual life when it happens? When this child becomes a deadbeat, there, there's no funding, there's no social programs, there's no safety net to help this child. We're going to have, with Roe v. Wade being overturned, we're going to have so many children born that are not wanted and that come with some sort of baggage, whether it be a mental disability or, or what have you. What do we do? So good on the Republicans. Good on the Republicans in this debate for actually evolving on the issue and, 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 and looking themselves in the mirror and saying, hey, we can't just be pro-life. we got to be pro-whole life. And, and, and I'm with you there. I'm, I'm with you there. You know, if I was a Republican strategist, I would have always said, hey, yes, we're anti-abortion, but our goal is zero abortions, but we can't get there by making it illegal. We've got to have adoption. We, we've got to have funding in place to take care of these children that are not wanted. So good reflection by the Republicans. Now, what I did not like, what I did not like about their abortion stance, and all five of them brought this up. Third-term abortions. We've got to get rid of third-term abortions. They're disgusting. They're not humane. All of them reference third-term abortions like they are prevalent in our society. And you can look up the numbers, ladies and gentlemen. Third-term abortions, it's like 1% to 2% of the time. Okay? Almost entirely the life of the mother. So the third-term abortion is a scare tactic. Nobody's for, women do not walk into abortion clinics, ladies and gentlemen, nine months pregnant and say, you know what, doc, I'm fucking done. Cut this baby out of me. I want my life back. They don't do that. And if you listen to the debate, you would, and I've got friends who think, oh my God, we've got to stop third-term abortions. It's not an issue. It's not an issue. You cannot get this kind of abortion. And I'm not saying it's never, ever happened. Of course, I'm not saying that. But this is not being abused. Okay? A third-term abortion essentially does not exist in less of the life of the mother. And, and, and I, I just pose this question. Your wife's in labor, and a doctor comes to you and says... We have got, uh, you've got a choice here. Your wife could die or we, 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 need to, we, we need to have an emergency abortion to save your wife's life. You have a choice. Maybe you say the hell with your wife. Maybe it's not your choice. Maybe, maybe, maybe your wife's not even conscious to even, even somewhat make a decision. But you have a choice. You have a choice. Now, if, there, if there's a woman that walks into an abortion clinic nine months pregnant and says, I want it out, then uh, that, that is the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. And the floating, the floating of this idea is, it, it's just a scare tactic. It's bullshit. I like how the Republicans were evolving on abortion. They have to. We'll talk about a couple of races, uh, elections that we just had, as reasons why Republicans 
have to evolve on abortion. Otherwise, they'll lose at the ballot box. They just will. Now, I want to read right after the debate, of course, the king who doesn't debate, he chimes in on abortion. Okay, here's his quote. Democrats were killing babies after birth, killing babies in the ninth month, end quote. Let me read it again. Democrats were killing babies after birth, killing babies in the ninth month, end quote. No, no, and no. This guy knows no bounds. He will lie to his advantage and he has lied so much that people people just don't care. They or they believe everything he says. I, I got into an argument with a friend um, a couple of weeks ago about how Trump was a serial cheater. And my friend was like, No, he's not. What are you talking about? I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, he is. He's yeah, he's cheated on all three wives. No, he hasn't. Prove it. How do you prove it? Like you, you don't think that he had sex with Stormy Daniels at Mar-a-Lago when he was married to Melania. She, I mean, Stormy was extremely detailed in her night with uh, the former president. Extremely. No, he, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. You can't prove that. Are you sure? You can't prove that. So Republicans will believe. Oh, I shouldn't say that because I love Republicans. I do. Some of these MAGA will believe anything he says. And when he's saying that Democrats are killing babies after birth and in the ninth month, that is an outright disgusting lie. Yikes. But of course he does that. Of course he does that. Keep evolving on abortion, Republicans. Keep evolving. And, and here's why. We had an election in the great state of Ohio, the red state of Ohio. Abortion rights were on the ballot. And what did the red state of Ohio vote for? 56-43, over a half a million votes in this red state. They chose to keep their abortion rights. This is why the Republican position is evolving. And this is why the Republican position probably should have evolved a little sooner. We have uh, election in Virginia. The entire yeah, it was a sweep for Democrats in the Virginia legislature, and that was that. People are saying this this may have just sunk Glenn Youngkin's chances at becoming president if he was ever going to run. And you've heard me talk about Glenn Youngkin over and over and over again. But fifty six forty three in Ohio, Virginia legislature gets swept by Democrats, and they ran on abortion. This, uh, this is an issue for Republicans. If I'm Rona McDaniel, if I'm a strategist working for Trump, you know what kind of message do we need to put forth to the American people where it's palatable? Where, because if abortion rights, if any sort of, of abortion rights are on the ballot, it is not good. it's not good for the right and their position. And it's funny, I've, ta I've talked to a lot of Republicans. Their position is evolving too. Turns out they believe in choice too. They're not for a, they're not for a third term abortion. Who is unless it's for the life of the mother, which is why you have to keep that third term abortion. That option has to be available potentially to save an actual human's life, a mother's life. But abortion was on the ballot in Ohio. It did not go well. It didn't go well in Virginia. 
we saw, you know, and, and, and I don't think abortion was was at play here, but my goodness, the Democrats, uh, Dave, we've got a governor of Kentucky. Wow. Damn, hey, not, 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 uh, we, and then the Republicans have a, a governor from Mississippi. So we split there one and one. Wonderful. Super. Evolution on abortion is going to be key if you want to win in 2024. If you want to win in 2024. And if I'm a Democratic strategist, I am highlighting third-term abortions. I'm going to get as much data as possible. Because, hey, flip side. I'm Democrats. I want to disprove this myth. I want to squash it over and over again because the Republicans will keep repeating it. If I'm Republicans and I keep preaching this third-term abortion, how we have to stop it, I want I want data supporting what I'm saying. Hey, sh- hey, Republicans, Nikki Haley, you show me that women are walking into abortion clinics. Nine months pregnant, eight and a half months pregnant, and saying, get it out of me. I'm done. If you can do that, your case has just been bolstered. There's validity to what you're saying. I'm not sure you can back that up. In fact, I'm positive you can't back that up. Third-term abortions do not happen. Like Nikki Haley and some of the Republicans on stage were claiming that they do. Third-term abortions, like Donald Trump just said, that shit doesn't happen. That is an outright lie. Don't we want the truth? I want to know. Trust me. Hey, I don't want to be sugarcoated with anything. If women are walking into abortion clinics and having a disgusting abortions in the ninth month just because they want to, I want to know. I don't want to be kept in the dark. So... One more bit of electoral politics. I have not talked about Robert Kennedy Jr. And I saw some polling. It was historic polling for an independent. God, he hasn't really even spoken. Nobody knows a hell of a lot about him outside of him being a, you know, an anti-vax Democrat. And uh, so I, as a Democrat, I don't even know where Robert Kennedy stands on. So you're, he's listed as a Democrat. What are some of the issues that make you a Democrat? Why is it important for you, Robert Kennedy Jr., to be a Democrat? Now, the early the, the, the early thoughts are, oh, my God, Robert Kennedy Jr., a Democrat polling so well, he could squash the Democrats. And I'm not so sure about that. I, I don't know, but I'm not so sure about that. He's an anti-vaxxer. That's, that, that's you know, kind of his claim to fame outside of his father, Bobby Kennedy, and his uncle, John F. Kennedy. <clears throat> but, so, with Robert Kennedy, he's an anti-vaxxer. We don't know a lot about him, so I'm, I'm interested to learn more. But will he, wouldn't, if he's, he's this anti-vaxxer that, that's got some you know, popularity, I think he may take just as many votes away from Republicans as Democrats. He, he you know, Republicans on the fa- uh, on the surface, you might be saying to yourself, "If I'm an electoral Republican, I'm thinking, wow, Kennedy could really fuck up the Democrat chances at the White House." And then if I'm a Republican, I'm like, "Wait a second, there's not all these anti-vax Democrats just clamoring for an anti-vax Democrat, but there are Republicans upset with Trump, upset with Democrats that." hated how COVID was handled, 
had just, I mean, the idea of getting a, a, a vaccine was just not going to happen. Bobby Kennedy, maybe Jr., maybe your candidate too. So we know nothing about him. Not much. Well, well, he, you know, I, I, I do know at 2001, it appears he had a, a, a journal. He was keeping a, a detailed journal of everything he was doing. Apparently, he slept with 37 women. 37 women in 2001. He kept a journal of them, and he would give them grades. He would rate them. His wife, of I forget how many years, committed suicide that same year. So you become a presidential candidate. This kind of stuff's going to come to light, and uh, where will it go? The, the, the guy that would cause the Democrats a lot more problems. And, and I think he would take siphon votes from the Republicans, too, is, is Joe Mankin. Joe Mankin, the senator from West Virginia, who's just announced he will not seek re-election. Why? Joe Mankin's not, Mankin's not ancient. Why is he not seeking re-election? Is Joe going to run for president? Joe versus Joe? Maybe. Maybe. That'll be interesting. And the more the merrier in the Democratic Party. I, I've told you, I, I, I want to sound, sound the alarm. I want to sound the alarm. We need options. Hey, the, uh, you heard me talk about it last podcast. This is the most important election of our lifetime. Well, if it's the most important election of our lifetime, we should be looking at as many candidates as possible. I don't give a shit if there's an incumbent president. I don't care. We should be looking at as many candidates as possible, and we should be trying to find the best candidate. Okay? So... Anyways, all right. Let 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 let's talk some fun for a little bit. You guys heard me maybe on my first or second podcast talk about Oak Island, this little island in Nova Scotia that's supposedly been visited by the Spanish and uh, the Knights Templar, and there's more treasure on this island than you could shake a, a fist at. Even even uh, let's see here, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was on the island at some point in like the, four, the 20s or 30s or something looking for treasure. And so this show just got kicked, just kicked off again. You guys have got to watch it. I think it's on the History Channel. It might be the Discovery Channel. I think it's the History Channel. But uh, the first episode kicked off. And they're finding, they're finding Roman coins that are 2,000 years old. Isn't that treasure? My kids laugh at me because well, they never find anything. But... It's an archaeological dig, as I pointed out a long time ago. It's fascinating. Something incredible happened there. And I'm not sure I'm not sure if it was in the 1400s or the 1500s that this treasure or whatever whatever happened there was deposited there. And then when you see stuff carbon dated to the 16 and 1700s, I think almost like that is searcher. Who deposited it and when? And then did people come to that island knowing there was stuff there and go get it? And is is when we when you when we see dates in the 16, 17, 1800s, you gotta shake your head if if you're actually looking for the treasure on the island right now, because you're like, man, if someone was here in 1800, I don't think they were depositing treasure. I think they were trying to fucking pick it up, baby. All right. Now Treasure comes in all sorts of forms. And let's just talk about a couple, a, a few treasures that have been found recently. There was a black swamp 
card collection. They call it Black Swamp, uh, State of Ohio, somebody's attic. There were boxes of cards that had literally never seen the light of day. We're talking baseball cards from like 1908, 1910. They were in literally in mint condition. They all got graded out at eights, nines, and tens. And if you follow card collecting at all, which I know you guys all do, I know you all do, card collecting has become all about the grade of the card. So what that you have a John Elway rookie card? It's an eight. There's a quadrillion number of eights out there. If you want that John Elway rookie card to be worth $5,000, $10,000, it's got to be a 10. And you can actually, in the grading system, you can actually look at, oh, there were 21,000 John Elway rookie cards graded. 41 of them have been given a 10. That's where the value is. And so with this Black Swamp collection, they thought they were fake. The cards from 1908 don't exist per in perfect in 10 condition, 9 condition. They don't exist. It, originally, this, this, uh, this card hall was value was estimated at like $3.5 million. It's going up like crazy. These things just don't exist. What a treasure in an attic in Ohio. Uh, we just saw a ba Babe Ruth rookie card, 1914 rookie card, is going up for auction. It's a three. It's graded as a three. They believe there's only 10 in the world. Do you know what the value? They're talking this card's going to sell for between 10 and $12 million. What an incredible treasure. I love it. I love treasure. What about, I just read about this. This just, well, kind of just happened. There, uh, Randall Aikens. Does anybody know who Randall Aikens is? Atkins, excuse me. Jeez, Nick. He is a Wall Street banker, okay? 12 years ago, 12 years ago, he bought an abandoned coal mine in Wyoming. Sheridan, Wyoming. He buys this abandoned coal mine for $2 million. This story was just reported. There's a deposit of rare earth minerals on this site. The largest, they believe, in U.S. in the U.S. since the early 50s. This deposit is valued at $37 billion. Not bad, Randall Atkins. Not bad, you Wall Street banker. Nice work. Two million investment. Sight unseen. He'd never even seen the land. 12 years later, they find a deposit of rare earth minerals worth $37 billion. And rare earth minerals, are th these are commodities. Many of them are commodities that the Chinese dominate. And it's good that we find our own rare earth minerals. So treasure, treasure, treasure. And then lastly, I'll just point out because I love it. Did Ferdinand Marcos find? Yamashita's gold. Did he find that treasure? We've seen the golden Buddha. Scott, show a picture of the damn golden Buddha on the, on the YouTube. This thing is like a solid gold, golden Buddha. They found golden bars. Marcos confiscated this stuff. Was there more? This, this was a treasure worth billions and billions and billions. No one really can, can pinpoint where Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos, their fortune came from. Was it this gold deposit? It appears so. I don't think this is a conspiracy theory. I've watched show after show after show on it. It's awesome. If, if you've got some time, look it up. Yamashita's treasure. Check it out.
It's pretty damn cool. Ferdinand Marcos became a rich guy, and was it now Boom Boom Marcos, his son? Is he the president of the Philippines now? Um, yeah, I don't know. He sounds like a bad dude, but I don't know a lot. I don't know a lot. Anyways, good old treasure. Anyways, all right. You listen to the show, you might be a kid. You might be a parent. I've got four kids, and uh, I'm constantly trying to do stuff individually with each kid. And I just got done coaching football. That, you know, that was, I coached my oldest, Carter, and my middle, Spencer. But I've got two other kids. I've got a baby girl named Campbell. She's nine years old, and she's, you know, semi-wonderful. I'm kind of addicted to Campbell. I'm kind of addicted to her. I have to admit it. I can't stop flicking her and touching her and trying to kiss her, and she can't stop hitting me and scratching me and telling me to get the hell away from her. But uh, then I've got my third son, uh, Brady. And, and Brady's a whole different dude, you know, than, than Carter and Spencer and Campbell. And that's, that's so cool when you have four kids or you have two kids or you have 10 kids. Every single one of them is different. And so me and Brady watch shows together. We have like a special day where we, we go get some, some food that we've been talking about. We make some food and we sit down and we watch some show that he's interested in. And so he's finally convinced me to watch this show called One Piece. It's this cartoon with uh, this character named Luffy, and they're after this pirate treasure. And normally I'm all in on treasure shows, even cartoons. Hey, Brady, it's perfect. I did not want to watch One Piece for one specific reason. There's over 1,000 fucking episodes. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Now, they're like 22 minutes apiece, so they're easy to watch. They're quick. But I haven't even done the math. That's a, that, What is that like? You know, a long time off my life. And so I fought this with Brady forever and ever and ever. And now me and him are sitting down. I think we're on like episode 12. And we are watching One Piece. And so my oldest son Carter tried to get me to watch One Piece a few years ago. And I was like, oh, how many episodes? I'm out. But I'm finally in. I'm enjoying it. I'm excited to see what kind of crew Luffy can put together and if he can go find the gold digger's treasure on the Grand Line. The only problem is I think we're like, I don't know, like 686 episodes away from, uh, you, know, you know, finding something. So it's not much different than me in Oak Island. Hell, I've been watching that for, my goodness, like six years or some shit like that. So connect with your child. Connect with your kids. They're all different. Um, they require each one of them requires a different plugin. You got to figure it out. Well, me and Brady, hey, One Piece, we are we we have started the journey. We have started the journey, so I'm excited, sort of. But uh, anyways, hey, I've got a fun story for you. I've got a fun story for you. It takes me back to my college days, and uh, I always found this story incredibly amusing. I think maybe you will find it amusing too. So let, let's think about the Russians for a second. Okay. We had, you know, me growing up, Miguel, Mikhail Gorbachev was president. Then it was Boris Yeltsin. Then it was Vladimir Putin. Then it was Sergei Medvedev. Medvedev, Medvedev then it was back to Putin. And so under ever since Putin, the, the Russian regime... It's been tough to deal with the American people. We don't have a great relationship with Russia. They're a mortal enemy of ours. You know, we when we had Gorbachev in office and Yeltsin, our relations, 
under Gorbachev improved immensely. And then under Yeltsin, it seemed like it was the best relations between the United States of America and Russia ever. Now, you're saying, Nick, how the fuck does this have anything to do with your college days? Well, I'm about to tell you. The year's 2000. I don't know. I'm like a junior in college. Maybe, yeah, I probably should have been a senior. No, I was a junior in college. Something. I'm a, I'm a junior. Yeah, no, I'm a junior in college. Yes. And I, I, I'm taking political science courses. Obviously, right? And we have a department head in the political science department named James Brown. Jim Brown, baby. I'm not even kidding. And he's our department head, and he was an ex-CIA guy. And he was an expert in Russia. And he was just a wonderful resource. One of the only classes I would ever pay attention to. One of the only classes that I would not miss. I showed up for this class. Come hell or high water, snow, wind, rain, you name it. I was I was in uh, Jim Brown's whenever he was teaching a class. Because he always... He, you know, just had a, a great way about him. I hope he's still alive. I hope he's doing great. I really enjoyed him so many years ago on the campus at Central Washington University in Ellensburg, Washington. But in 2000, James Brown, we were we were we were talking about Russia, and he was giving us the lowdown on Russia. He was an expert, and you know, an ex-CIA guy. He was kind of an expert in everything Russia, and he told us a story that nobody at the time knew nobody 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 on the internet knew nobody really knew unless you knew he was an ex-CIA CIA guy so he knew so Boris Yeltsin is at a state dinner okay and he is getting absolutely shit-faced wasted he he he's at the White House and he's a drinker Gorbachev was a drinker. Putin is not a drinker, does not drink. So he was, it was like a big deal when Putin came into power. Oh, he's not a drinker. But Yeltsin is a just a, a, a complete drunk, okay? At this state dinner, according to Jim Brown, Boris Yeltsin throws up, okay? He pukes all over himself at this dinner. Oh, my God. They've got to, you think about the Russian propaganda and what they have to do to try to clean up this mess. Okay, now, does Yeltsin stop drinking? No, he pukes in rallies, according to my professor, Jim Brown. He is then out on the streets of D.C. in his fucking underwear. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. In his underwear, buying pizza. The leader of Russia, Boris Yeltsin, is out buying pizza on the street, in his underwear, shit-faced. Okay? Now, he's got all sorts of ob obligations. He's got to get on a plane. He's got to go places. He's got to actually be in Ireland to meet with the, the president there. And, he, he, you know, they've got a big diplomatic mission. So, Yeltsin's plane takes off. It takes off. And what does Yeltsin do? It's like a 13-hour flight to Ireland. <clears throat> excuse me, he continues to drink and drink and he ultimately passes out. This is the story my professor tells us in 1999-2000. Yeltsin is completely fucking passed out. The 
plane on the tarmac, excuse me, the plane arrives. There is a band. There is the president. There are diplomats. Every, there's people cheering. It is, you know, it, it, it's this, this huge parade. Here comes the president of Russia. And that plane sits on that tarmac. And it sits on that tarmac. And it sits on that tarmac for like two hours. And a representative of, of, of the Russian government, I don't I forget, I, I, he didn't tell me who it was, but I think you could read about it now, and I'll get to that, comes out, speaks and says the president is very ill, he's, he's ill, he's been sleeping, he's not feeling well, and literally that plane with all these people around, cheerleaders and a band, everybody waiting to see the president, that plane takes off and goes back to Russia. And so I crack up at that story. And if you look up on the internet, I was told this story in 2000. No one knew this story. If you look up, the earliest I can see that this story was ever reported was in 2009. And since then, it's been reported many times that Yeltsin was shit-faced at a White State Department dinner. And he went out and bought pizza in his underwear. Some, some of the details, like he continued to drink on the plane continue to puke on the plane, supposedly. All, a lot of these details, they've never come to light. But the overall story, it got first reported, I believe, in 2009, is true. So I sat there as a stupid college kid, and my professor is telling me a story, kind of inside information via the CIA, about Boris Yeltsin. And why do I bring this up? I don't really know. I don't know. Here we hate Vladimir Putin. Trump loves him. The, we don't have the best relations with Russia. We had, we, we had maybe the best relations ever under Boris Yeltsin. And maybe it was because he was always so fucking happy. He was always partying. Maybe the key to good Russian relations is to get in a Russian president who likes to drink some vodka. Maybe. I don't know. I thought I would share that story. It cracks me up. Boris Yeltsin, shit-faced, puking rally, buying pizza on the streets of D.C. in his underwear. Almost should make a damn movie out of it. Almost. Almost. Certainly there should be a documentary. All right. I've got one more thing to discuss. I've got one more thing to discuss, and that's the Texas A&M Aggie football team. They just fired Jimbo Fisher. And I thought I, 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 you could smell this fire coming, firing coming from a mile away. I've got a dealer. I've got a dealer in Texas, Atex Pools. And they are big Aggie fans. I love Jake, love Joanne. And every time the Aggies play, I think about them. And when I see them, I, we talk Aggie football. And we were talking Aggie football just a couple of months ago when I, when I saw them. And I was telling him, Jimbo's in trouble, Jimbo's in trouble. And, you know, everyone thought, oh, his recruiting class that was number one in the nation two years ago is, is, is going to save him, no problem. And they came, they brought Jimbo Fisher in to do one thing, and it's to win national championships. But I bring this up because Texas A&M is going to buy out Jimbo Fisher for nearly $80 million dollars. Let me repeat that. Texas A&M is going to buy out Jim. They've fired Jimbo Fisher and they're going to pay him 77 freaking million dollars. 
God, it's good to be a college football coach. My goodness. And what the hell's going on at Texas A&M? Is Saudi Arabia involved in Texas A&M sports? Holy moly. They've got money to burn. $77 million. I'll give you an example. My Washington Huskies, the Husky fan base is absolutely beside themselves with the basketball team and has been for like four or five years. We have a coach named Mike Hopkins. He had $9 million left on his deal going into this year, and everyone wanted him fired in the offseason forever. The Huskies couldn't do it because they couldn't. Washington could not afford the buyout of $9 million. And the Texas A&M Aggies can just swallow $77 million? Holy shit! I mean, my goodness. The Aggies are the Saudi Arabians of college football. My goodness. Those are deep pockets. Those are incredible. <sighs> well, you know what? Uh, my show's winding down. I was going to share with you. Joel Osteen, my buddy, the pastor, gave me a call. He told me, told me, this podcast is wonderful. He's been listening. He told me that the podcast is in the fate of God's hands. And we are going to continue to do God's work with this podcast. Thank you, Joel Osteen, for the phone call. I really appreciate it. It meant the world to me. God, I'm an idiot. Why do I bring this stupid shit up? This is episode 28. I got stuff to do today. I got to go be a productive member of society. I got to go work with some Republicans, baby, that I love. Episode 28, I'm out of here. Goodbye, good night.